Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. It's me, Eric Erickson, here. I hope you're having a great day. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of this here program, glad to have you with me. My goodness gracious, we got a lot to talk about here. Um, First and foremost, I want to talk to you, well... It shouldn't be a sensitive issue, but apparently for some people, it's a sensitive issue. We need to talk about what's going on with the Senate's marriage legislation. The United States Senate is considering legislation that would make gay marriage the law of the land. The legislation originates because of the Clarence Thomas concurrence in the uh, Dobbs decision that there's no such thing as substantive due process and the Supreme Court needs to review substantive due process. Now, um, substantive due process is a court-drawn doctrine that reads particular rights into sections of the Constitution, particularly the 14th Amendment, that are not necessarily there, nor did the authors of the 14th Amendment intend. And among those are the, um, well, the abortion right, uh, interracial marriage. Uh, Obergefell was a substantive due process decision. That's gay marriage. Uh, now, Thomas is not suggesting that we get rid of, for example, interracial marriage. He himself is in an interracial marriage. He just says, you got to find this in other areas of the Constitution, not the substantive due process clause. Well, it caused a great freak out from people who aren't very nuanced and want their hair lit on fire over everything. And the result is now the Congress ratifying both interracial and gay marriage as law of the land. The Senate currently has the legislation. And there is a a problem with the legislation. And I think objectively so there's a problem with the legislation. And that is that it does not allow um, religious institutions levels of protection that religious institutions should have. I got to be honest with you. We, the, we've kind of crossed the Rubicon, whether you believe in gay marriage or not, we've crossed the Rubicon as a nation. We're not suddenly now going to have, um, go back from having gay marriage. There are some Christian advocacy groups in the country that say, uh, let's just get rid of gay marriage. Let, let's get rid of it. Uh, we don't need it. Uh, there, there's no reason to have it. Uh, We should be able to walk it back. We're we're not going to as a nation. I think you just need to understand that uh, once people have been given this right, we're not going to walk back this right. It's just, it's not going to happen. There are those who wish it to happen, and you're not going to. However, there are people of faith who believe that the government cannot define what marriage is because the government did not create marriage. Uh, Marriage, if you are a person of faith, you believe it comes from God Almighty himself. 
In fact, it's a foundational Judeo-Christian belief, and it comes from Genesis 1. Uh, God essentially told man and woman to be married and be fruitful and increase in number. God created marriage and made it between a man and a woman. People of faith believe this very strongly. And government, people of faith would argue, cannot rearrange what God himself created. It's not just Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, Some people would say Genesis 1 is the poetic account of creation, Genesis 2 the more literal account of it. Um, But there's also the Noahic covenant that you find in Genesis 9 that uh, God blessed Noah and his sons after they came off the ark, saying, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And essentially established again that, um, as the Bible says, you'll leave and cleave. You will leave your parents and find a wife, and you will have children, and you will multiply, and that's the family unit. And you can say it's mythology, myth, hoo-ha, whatever, but people of faith, adamantly believe this. Now, there's a problem in the way the Democrats have structured their legislation in Congress. And the problem is essentially that it uh, seemingly uh, on reading allows for churches to maintain biblical orthodoxy. But it does not allow non-church religious entities to do the same. It's not very clear. It's actually a somewhat very nebulous reading of the law uh, and empowers judges. Christian Wagner is the new head of the Alliance Defending Freedom, a great organization, friends of the show. Supporters of the intentionally misnamed Respect for Marriage Act, which cleared an important procedural hurdle in the Senate, are dismissing the undeniable harms the bill will inflict on countless Americans if it becomes law. On top of that, they're claiming the bill actually advances religious liberty. This is hogwash. The heart of the RFMA's, that's Respect for Marriage Act's, purported protections of religious liberty is Section 6B. RFMA supporters claim it provides houses of worship and other religious nonprofits categorical protection from being forced to help celebrate same-sex weddings. And they assert that this is a significant religious liberty advance. Neither holds up. First, Section 6B's protections addresses one of the few settings where same-sex marriage and accompanying sexual orientation laws hasn't created religious liberty problems. Laws are simply not being used to force houses of worship to celebrate same-sex weddings. In its 2018 Masterpiece Cake Shop decision, the Supreme Court said that would violate the First Amendment. Same-sex marriage has been legally recognized since 2015. The number of cases challenging a religious organization's refusal to hold a same-sex wedding, zero. Second, in addition to the scenario apparently never arising, this is one context in which existing legal protections are entirely adequate. No reasonable person thinks the government could get away with forcing houses of worship to do same-sex weddings. Third, the RFMA doesn't work like its supporters say. Supporters confidently contend the protections in Section 6B are absolute, but the entire subsection of the bill is qualified with the phrase consistent with the First Amendment. 
judges may use the language to conclude that this provision is no more protective than the First Amendment, meaning the bill does nothing. RFMA supporters tout Section 6A of the bill, which says the statute won't be read to diminish existing legal protections like the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and the First Amendment. This hardly deserves praise. It just means the RFMA clearly sets a very low bar for being better than the Pernicious Equality Act, which strips Americans of their Religious Freedom Restoration Act rights. And saying the First Amendment is still available is hardly some sort of generous concession to religious liberty, given that Congress thankfully lacks the authority to repeal the First Amendment. The flimsiness of the Marriage Act's religious liberty protections is made worse by the bill's utter failure to address the real and serious problems religious Americans face in the wake of Obergefell. Right now, government officials across the country argue in court that individuals and religious organizations who love and work with people from all walks of life should face civil and criminal penalties if they don't abandon their beliefs on this issue. Faith-based adoption and foster placement agencies are denied the opportunity to serve needy children. States deny parents equal support if they choose religious schools with the wrong views on marriage. Governments force gospel rescue missions to hire people who deny the gospel. The RFMA addresses none of these things. It imposes new obligations to recognize same-sex relationships on religious organizations that work with the government. Now, that is the big issue here. Government is supposed to be neutral. That's kind of the standard. But the Supreme Court years ago essentially said secularism is neutral when it's clearly not neutral. To be clear here, I don't care whether you support gay marriage or not. I don't care whether you think it needs a law or not. What I do care greatly about is that the Constitution guarantees people not just freedom from a government-established religion, but freedom to exercise their religion. That doesn't mean 11 to 12 on a Sunday. It means to exercise their religion in all aspects of life. And marriage is one of those issues that religious people believe is created by God. Marriage is an institution from God. The result is that religious people, through their nonprofits, should not be punished by the government for maintaining their biblical orthodoxy. Now, I know there are people who very vehemently believe that um, government should be able to say marriage is between two people of the same sex. The government already does that with Obergefell. Nothing's changed. The problem is what do you do with the religious school that teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman? Do they lose their tax-exempt status? What about the religious nonprofit? You know, the um, Vanderbilt University is a private Methodist-based school, and Vanderbilt has ordered their religious groups on campus to get off campus unless they allow people who don't believe in their religion to be in charge. So a Muslim organization, if it's not willing to allow a Jew to be president of the of the uh, organization, has to be off campus. A Christian organization, if it's not willing to have a gay atheist in charge of the orthodox um, Bible-believing Christian organization, has to get off campus. That's Vanderbilt adhering to secular rules. What about the religious organization? I know there are those of you listening who are advocates of same-sex marriage. I am an evangelical Christian. 
I believe that God created marriage and we're not supposed to deviate from it, but I also believe in pluralism and that in this country, we're not a Christian nation, we're a pluralistic nation. And the government has decided through the Supreme Court that marriage is between just two people, regardless of their sex. I think you should be allowed to have your gay marriage. The Supreme Court has said so. But I also think that a religious organization that believes God himself created marriage and prescribes it in the Bible should not be punished for maintaining biblical orthodoxy. And that includes should not be punished by being able, not able to participate with the government. The government's supposed to be neutral on this. The government is supposed to be able to deal with the gay rights organization that believes marriage can be between two people of the same sex. And the government's supposed to be able to deal with a religious organization that believes uh, marriage is between people of opposite sex only. Unfortunately, there are those who wish to push their view on everyone, and in this case, it means punishing the religious group. So the religious group can't participate in government adoption programs. The religious group can't have a tax-exempt status. I think Mike Lee has the proposal here that would take care of this. Mike Lee, the senator from Utah, has a proposed amendment to the marriage legislation. And that amendment would make clear that religious organizations do not have to give up their core religious beliefs to participate at a governmental level or risk tax-exempt status. Republicans in the Senate would be wise to not go along further with this marriage legislation until protecting the rights of the religious in this legislation. They should protect it. Listen, uh, we're not going to walk away from gay marriage. And, and frankly, as much as I believe marriage is between a man and a woman, I do find it a little bit like bad form and bad public policy for the government to say, well, the Supreme Court gave you gay marriage. We're going to take it away now. Uh, there is a long settled position in this country that you should not take rights away from people. Now, you can say, what about abortion? But abortion was never in the Constitution, had no history of it. It was bad law. You can at least see the evolutionary progress of this country when it comes to marriage over time. But the bottom line is that uh, the government's not going to take away interracial marriage. It's not going to take away gay marriage. But if they don't amend this legislation with Mike Lee's amendment, you very well are risking the tax exempt status of religious organizations and punishing religious people for adhering to their worldview based on what they believe their God has told them to do. And that in America, we should all turn on, like, should be anathema to us. We should allow people of faith to maintain their faith, even as this nation moves forward in redefining what marriage is based on a Burgerfeld. We should be able to hold these views in our heads at the same time and not punish people who refuse to go along with one or the other. We should be a pluralistic nation where we all have to tolerate each other, much like we've always done, without picking one side to punish because their God tells them they must live in a certain way. Let's pause and just talk about what's going on in the country for a moment. We got sky-high inflation. We got runaway government spending. Trust in Washington is completely eroded. When government is this dysfunctional, you got to change the course of the country. You know you have to. That's why I'm excited about the work Americans for Prosperity is doing. They're focused on policy solutions that actually improve people's lives, unlike so many in D.C. who just want to play political football and have power. Americas for Prosperity doesn't just come up with solutions. They act on those solutions. They have the largest network of community activists in the country. They are out there every day talking to millions of their fellow Americans. 
If you're interested in seeing how you can get started with Americans for Prosperity in your community, visit americansforprosperity.org slash eric today. That's americansforprosperity.org slash eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. Dan, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Uh, hello there, Eric. How you doing Hi. today? Good. How are you? Got, I'm good. Uh, I got one question for you because I'm, I don't know the answer to this myself. If Chuck Schumer should get a 51-49 advantage in the Senate, how much damage can he do to us? We can do more than if it's 50-50 for a couple of reasons. One, it gives the Republicans more flexibility to jockey between Democratic members of the Senate who don't necessarily want to have a left-wing Senate majority. So Christian Sinema and Joe Manchin, you got to have them both, not just one. Um, Additionally, a 50-50 Senate, if Herschel Walker wins in Georgia, it makes all the committees tied. So while the Democrat will be chairman, the committees will have the same number of Republicans and Democrats. So if one Democrat doesn't show up, Republicans can kill a measure. Um, They can make it more difficult to pass judges particularly. If you have a 51-49 U.S. Senate with Chuck Schumer in charge, they can ram through judges more expeditiously from the Circuit Court of Appeals to the Supreme Court to District Courts. A 50-50 Senate, it's far easier for Republicans to block judges. So, yeah, I mean, it it really does matter if if Joe Manchin, or I'm sorry, if if, if, uh, Herschel Walker is in the Senate or Raphael Warnock. It really matters just based on that. It matters because the Republicans are more likely to be able to block judges with the 50-50 Senate, they're more likely to be able to block bad legislation with 50-50 Senate. They're more likely to be able to grind committees to a halt and slow the process down. Uh, with the exception of a reconciliation package once or twice a year, they can do a whole lot more. And with Republicans in charge of the House, it really comes down to administrative picks. They have a better chance of blocking the head of the ATF. They have a better chance of blocking judges. They have a better chance of blocking ambassadors. They have a better chance of blocking cabinet picks and independent um, organization picks. A 50-50 Senate matters in the confirmation process more than ever, which is another reason for people in Georgia who are sitting on the fence to go back Herschel Walker because the Republicans are able to uh, have a greater say in who Joe Biden puts in charge. Think about the ATF pick. Uh, the head of the ATF, the Republicans were able to reject that and block the head of the ATF that Biden wanted, an aggressive gun control guy, uh, because they only needed one vote from the Democrats and they were able to get it. Uh, 50-50 Senate matters a ton in Georgia for the entire nation, but Republicans have to show up. They can't talk themselves out of this, and Herschel Walker needs to maximize every single Republican. The ground game is going to be key. Uh, thankfully, uh, Brian Kemp has left his ground game from the gubernatorial race in place and handed it over to Mitch McConnell in the Senate to be able to try drive up the vote. But Republicans, those of you wavering, this is the point here. A 50-50 Senate gives the Republicans the power to slow things down and potentially stop nominees. A 51-49 Senate, the game changes dramatically because committees will no longer be split evenly 50-50. It matters greatly. So in Georgia, 
You absolutely need to go vote for Herschel Walker in this runoff. It is December 6th. Get your absentee ballot in right now in Georgia. Get your absentee ballot in ASAP. I'm several years in on my bowl and branch sheets, and they keep getting softer. Every time you wash them, they get softer. They hold up after multiple washes over multiple years. They even have those deep-fitting sheets for the fitted sheets for the big mattresses like I've got. They're great. And for the holidays, consider them as a great gift for yourself or someone else. They're made with the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. They have a great weight for them. They're cool in the summer. They're warm in the fall. They just in, in the cold weather season, they just have a good drape on your body. They just give you something uh, better than your standard sheet that you're going to get. They're great. I enjoy them. I love that they keep getting softer. Every time I wash them and put them back on the bed, they're a better surprise. Their signature sheets come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box. They're going to look great. They're going to be unboxed. You're going to make somebody happy. This Black Friday, give the gift of a better night's sleep with Bowl & Branch. Get 25% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. The offer ends November 27th. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is... 877-973-7425 if you'd like to be on the program. Did you know it is negative 49.4 degrees in Antarctica? That's actually a record. You notice we're, we're not hearing this, uh, I'm, so I'm reading from, from the Daily Skeptic. Um, this is the lowest recorded temperature in Antarctica since records began in 1957. And yet no one seems to talk about them, but whenever there's now a record high uh, anywhere on the planet, the media plays it up and plays it up and plays it up. Um, so they're, they're right. Anything getting colder barely gets a look these days. Arctic sea ice is making a significant near silent comeback. Summer ice at the end of September covered 4.92 million square kilometers which was 1.35 million square kilometers higher than the 2012 low. On land, the Greenland ice sheet may have increased in size over the last year to August of 2022. Zoologist Dr. Susan Crockford reported that this is the fifth year out of the last seven that enough sea ice has formed along the west coast of Hudson Bay by mid-November for hunting polar bears to be able to head out to the ice, just as they did in the 1980s. Coral is growing on the Great Barrier Reef with a vengeance just a few years after journalists and their experts warned it was likely to disappear. According to the latest satellite data, the global temperature hasn't moved for over eight years. A little extra carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has led to a greening of the planet, a process that over the last 30 years has reduced world hunger and famine. Notably, there were claims that the Arctic summer ice would be gone by 2035 and that a colony of Adelaide penguins in northern Antarctica had fallen over 40 years from 20,000 to just 40,000. But it turns out we are still got sea ice, and these penguins apparently didn't die out. They've joined a colony of 1.5 million on the other side of the continent. The hysteria from the global warming crowd. Now, I'm in the camp that thinks the world is probably warming. I'm also in the camp that thinks it doesn't really matter and we don't need to care about it. And my goodness, saying that just drives out the crazy from people. There are things we do need to care about, however. And one of those things 
is still this fascinating story about FTX, which I know a lot of people don't care about, and I'm trying to get you to care about it for a couple of reasons. Before I get to those, I want to play this audio for you. Well, the point here is that people left their um, their cryptocurrency on a centralized exchange, and we don't want that. We want people to actually take self-custody and not leave it on these centralized exchanges, particularly one actually like FTX. There's a lot of weird things happening. So the media is actually still actually gushing over FTX. The New York Times made um, this puff piece which um, said, how Sam, how Sam Bankman freed, um, how his crypto empire collapsed. Why not actually say, well, how this individual stole billions of dollars from um, the average person? Well, obviously, they're not going to say that. Why? Because FTX was actually becoming the crypto arm of the establishment. Sam Bankman-Fried was working very closely with regulators, the SEC, Gary Gensler, the chairman of the SEC, to establish this regulatory monopoly over the entire market, completely um, ousting all forms of competitors. Also, Sam Bankman-Fried also had uh, the likes of Bill Clinton and Tony Blair speak at his crypto conference down in the Bahamas earlier this year. I said this was a red flag. Bill Clinton, obviously, that speaks for himself. Um, but Tony Blair, he was uh, the prime Minister of the United Kingdom is actually should be um, in jail for war crimes because of his involvement in the Iraq war. He's very pro CBDCs. Um, he's very pro digital IDs and COVID lockdowns. So it's very bizarre that a crypto person like Sam Bankman-Fried would endorse such people like that. Sam Bankman-Fried is also a member of the World Economic Forum. FTX had a page at the World Economic Forum, and as you mentioned earlier, um, he was one. He was actually the second largest donator to uh, Biden's presidential campaign. All Okay, we can stop there with, with hardcore crypto person upset with Tony Blair thinking the person, uh, Tony Blair, should be charged with war crimes. But there's a larger point here. There is a conspiracy theory circulating online on the right that Joe Biden was giving massive taxpayer-funded military assistance to Ukraine Ukraine was then funneling that money to FTX, and FTX was then making political donations to the Democrats. It was essentially money laundering through Ukraine. While I don't think that was necessarily so, I'm a little hesitant to dismiss this because there have been so many conspiracy theories in the past few years that have turned out to be true when the media says absolutely not. No, they're not. Um, I, I don't think Ukraine was bribing Democrats through FTX. Some will disagree, uh, but what I do know is that a lot of world governments, not just FTX, uh, or not just Ukraine, were running through FTX, which was trying to get some legitimacy. They wanted global legitimacy. They wanted regulatory oversight. They wanted to help shape the regulations to benefit themselves and put their competitors at a disadvantage. And here's what you really need to know. Forget the, the Ukrainian conspiracy theories about FTX and the Democrats. Here's what you really need to know. This is a company whose CEO was the number two Democratic donor of this campaign cycle, whose mother is a prominent Democratic bundler, who's the son of lawyers, who's a smart guy, who's now playing dumb, who was smart enough to know if he said the right things and did the right things, he could largely get a pass in what he was doing, which was by and large stealing people's money and using it for other purposes, allegedly. The great con game these days is that if you're a major company and you are engaged in fraud, what you can do is sponsor media conferences and the media will love you. 
Give money to Democratic politicians, and the regulators will ignore you. And say all the right woke things, and you'll attract investors from the left. Sam Bankman-Fried largely admitted it was all PR, it was all a scam to help his company. He essentially says he wasn't really defrauding people and stealing from them. He was just too dumb to run business. He didn't even have like an auditor or comptroller in his company. The guy who has taken over the company to sort things out was the guy who took over Enron to sort things out after the Enron accounting scandal. And he says this is far worse than anything he saw at Enron. What you're seeing time and time again, though, are these individuals in these sorts of companies just playing the PR game and they get a pass. We don't really have an investigative um, journalism enterprise anymore, by and large. In fact, we know there were a number of independent investigative journalists who were digging into FTX, realizing it made no sense what it was doing. The, the numbers did not add up. And when they went to the big investigative media outlets or business outlets like Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, CNBC, uh, they were ignored in large part because FTX was paying for access on stage at their conferences. Uh, people wanted Sam Bankman freed on stage and he wasn't going to come if you said bad things about him. He wasn't going to write a check to subsidize the conference. They were giving naming rights to a stadium. Why would anyone look into them? This is a, a well-settled pattern in American life across institutions where individuals spend a lot of money to buy goodwill and then they get ignored. The problem is that more and more of these companies are tech companies, cryptocurrency companies and the like, and they're wiping out people's savings. This goes back to a degree, uh, the story on colleges getting paid millions of dollars by sports betting companies and pushing sports bettings on their students. There is increasingly a class of young man in this country who is over leveraged in sports gambling and crypto and on the verge of losing everything. They're trying to find their place in the world. They're trying to find angles in which they can get ahead and these groups are preying on them. They are predators against single young men. They're wiping out people's earnings and their potential for growth. We got to do something about this. What we see with, with FTX, what was really rich is this company was trying to shape regulations in Washington. Now, cryptocurrency by and large is opposed to regulation which is kind of a big red flag, frankly, with a lot of cryptocurrency. I'm not a fan of crypto. I have friends who are. I had a friend over last night who is a big proponent of cryptocurrency. Uh, another a really good friend of mine uh, handles a lot of my, my outside digital work. He's a huge cryptocurrency advocate. I understand why. I do think the technology has some impressive future to it. At the same time, um, it's kind of the wild, wild west, and a lot of people are getting swindled out of money. Bitcoin is probably the most stable, but there are some owners of Bitcoin who prop up the whole system and nobody knows who they are. And again, it's not really currency when you can't go into McDonald's and buy a burger with it, which in most parts of the world you can't. It is something that people have given value to, like tulip bulbs in the 14 or 1500s. It is crashing right now. But what we're finding is people like Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX 
They're giving large sums of money to the right politicians. They're funding the right charitable causes. They're saying the right woke things. They're dropping money where it matters, and they're getting a pass. And then they come along and say, hey, allow us to help write the regulations that will regulate our industry. And inevitably, those regulations are designed to benefit that company at the expense of its competitors. If there is one thing we should learn from this, it's that everyone should be very, very leery of a major company stepping up to volunteer and say, hey, we want to be regulated. Please regulate us. Allow us to draft the regulations. Allow the fox to design the regulations in building the hen house, and you can be assured the fox will always design a back door into the hen house. And that's essentially what's going on with this stuff. And now he's collapsed. But how many other companies are going to come along like this? I'm telling you, you see these startups like this and they're dropping money all over Washington. You should be really weary of doing business with them, be leery of doing business with them. You should question them and you should question the media that puts them on the front pages of their magazines and their puff pieces instead of wanting to do the hard work of the due diligence to ask whether or not there's a scam. It happened with Theranos. It's happened with FTX. It happens time and again. These companies drop a lot of money on the media. Why and dying the press, and they are the ones who run the con jobs on the rest of us. And the media turns a blind eye and never holds itself accountable for failing to inquire what the heck is actually going on. And more and more investigative journalists say, had you bothered just looking at the basic books available for the public, you'd have seen red flags everywhere. The media didn't bother because they're lazy and they like to be wined and dined. I like AFP because they don't whine and die in the media. In fact, they, they get beat up all over the place because they are uncompromised in their support of free markets and free people. That's why I like them. Um, they're unwilling to bend on the issue of free markets and free people, and they want you to join them. They are not a think tank in Washington, writes a bunch of white papers and does Washington stuff. Nope, they're a do tank. They go around the country and they do the work of getting conservatives involved in the process, teaching them how to be better activists, how to get elected, how to make pitches to local school boards or, or state governments. You want to be part of AFP because they will make you a better conservative. They give you the information you need to make better arguments, not to impress your friends, but to win arguments at your local school board or your county commission to be able to advance free markets and free people. And right now you can go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric and join today. Americans for Prosperity. Prosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Sign up with Americans for Prosperity. They probably have a chapter near you. And if they don't, you can probably help them start one. They support free markets and free people, which I hope all of you do. They give you the tools you need to be a great conservative activist. And they also help advise conservative members of Congress on what to do to advance free markets and free people. They're a great conservative group. They started before the Tea Party. They helped give rise to the Tea Party movement. They help the Tea Party movement have sustainability and get great members of Congress elected who never have disappointed us. They were one of the groups that have helped people like Rand Paul get elected, Mike Lee in, in, in Utah, and so many others. They fight for freedom. They fight for you, and they want you on board. They have local chapters, not just a D.C. hub. Go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. I, I got to tell you, I'm watching the disaster that is the World Cup play out. Uh, so Qatar actually had the first game. Everybody showed up to watch it, and they lost. 
and very few people could actually get into the stadium because FIFA, the the organizing body, has their own ticketing app, and it crashed. You'd have thought they were selling Taylor Swift tickets. It crashed so bad. People couldn't get in. And then uh, Ishan Hafsafi is the head of the Iranian soccer team. He's the captain of the soccer team. And he spoke out and said, we have to accept that conditions in our country are not right and our people are not happy. Before anything else, I would like to express my condolences to all of the bereaved families in Iran. They should know that we are with them, we support them, and we sympathize with them. Some countries, some countries, mostly European countries, were going to wear armbands in Qatar to support gay rights. Qatar is not a country very friendly to people who are gay. In fact, they will torture you if they find you. Uh, They have convinced some Qataris after much torture to try to turn in their friends who are gay. And many European countries were going to wear armbands to support gay rights in Qatar. FIFA said nope, and so they backed down. Wasn't real bravery. It was show, a show they were willing to scrap uh, under threat of a yellow card. Meanwhile, Iran's team captain spoke out against the conditions in his country and on behalf of those who are being gunned down in his country. There, my friends, is real bravery. Protesting gay rights and caving is not real bravery. This captain of the Iranian team will go back to Iran and may God be with him because who knows what will actually happen to him. Real bravery there. What's going on in Iran is atrocious and it is frankly something that all of us should be paying attention to. The Iranian regime, the parliament there, has voted to execute 15,000 protesters. They have begun gunning people down in the streets for protesting the regime. The regime does not care if all of those people die. If all of those people die, if all 15,000 people die, it just saves money for the regime. They don't have to care and feed for those people. It is a horrible, horrible situation in Iran. And I have to give some credit to Joe Biden. He's walked away from the table from an Iran deal. And he's willing behind the scenes to be more supportive of the protesters than Barack Obama was. But we could still be doing more. That does not mean we have to send troops. It does not mean we have to invade. We can help the protesting Iranians. But at the World Cup, at the World Cup, it appears the Europeans have done a good job against the Iranians. And it appears that some of the Western teams are dominating right now. And it appears that the the show and the pomp and the circumstance of, of virtue signaling failed catastrophically. And the West was so easily caved. And this brave Iranian team captain is willing to speak out. And it puts him and his whole family in jeopardy speaking out. Those of us in this country, in the United States, I don't know that we can appreciate that. That this man in Qatar speaks out against his country's government. And when he goes home, he could be killed. And by the time he gets there, his entire family rounded up and killed as payback. 
Not saying it is going to happen, but it's very likely to happen. That's real bravery. That's real bravery. Far more than the bravery of the PR stunts. Far far more worthy of praise than so many Western PR stunts, particularly when they're so willing to cave. 